That's right. Boom! We are live, ladies and gentlemen. The 21st century form of collectivism is one that melds the power of private corporations and organizations with the force of government. This collusion, brought to light by the 2022 book, The Great Reset, is threatening the very freedoms we hold dear as Americans. And a new report was just released showing the extent at which this partnership went to stifle speech on topics ranging from COVID-19 to the 2020 elections. Also, emerging technologies are going to supercharge the power of this deadly alliance. And lastly, we are going to break an exclusive bombshell report on RFK Jr. We're going to be talking about all this and more on episode 423 of the In the Tank podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, this is going to be one of those shows for the history books. We have got, a, like I said, bombshell exclusive report on RFK Jr. I don't think I can oversell this. But before we get into that, let me introduce everybody. As always, I am your host, Donald Kendall. And joining me, I've got the full crew. i got Jim Lakely, VP of the Heartline Institute. How are you doing today, good sir? Uh, I'm doing good. I am so glad that you and uh, Justin are back from from your travels i mean you know i, I don't know if, i don't know if i want to speak for chris but you know i got really tired of having to carry the entire show by myself it's very exhausting you have to come up with the topics you have to invite guests you have to host you also have to be smart and give good commentary and uh you know that's a that's a tough tough job so um in now knowing that you and justin were going to be back i didn't do any reading uh did no prep work at all for this podcast so uh, nice yeah so yeah, i, I don't... thought i'd be just like justin you know so he's yeah my hero. exactly <laughs> see all those things just come naturally to us so it's not even that hard it's just you know we wake up in the morning and uh you know be this good also joining us we have justin haskins he is the director of the socialism research center here at the heartland institute and he is sporting a chicago cubs hat how's it going good sir I'm doing very well. Go Cubs, yes. go. Justin's very excited. Chris Talgo, editorial director here at the Heartland Institute. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, so I think Justin's wearing the Cubs hat because they just uh, had a monumental signing. They signed uh, Craig Council, one of the best managers in the game, former World Series, two-time World Series champion on the Diamondbacks and the Florida Marlins. We paid a whopping $8 million per year for this manager. I think it's. I think he's now the highest paid manager in uh major league baseball history so cubs i got i got really 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 big expectations uh next year i want to get Shoei otani i want to uh, resign cody ballinger i mean let's just let's just go all right this is an espn all right we've got a big bombshell report that we were going chris to get is to. chris is trying to be the gm of the cubs <laughs> i wish i could only it's the only great. job that he'll leave the heartland institute oh. for Chris and Jim are unaware of Justin and I's bombshell report. I can't say that enough. I can't overstate this. This is something for, like I said, it's for the history books. If you're watching the stream, share it because this is one that is going to go viral soon. 
it's can I go just viral can I just soon. say can I just say real quick? Up Donnie, front, you're really I did not up. suggest. I did I'm not hyping. suggest that Donnie hype this up to this. Oh, I'm I did not do that. He hyped it up all week to me. This is an exclusive. There's only three people. Like, well, Basically. there's a couple more, but maybe like five, five people in the yeah. world right now that are know of this information. And one of them is Andy, who's got our evidence queued up. But before we get into that, I do have to put out that message I put out there every week to those audio only listeners that are probably catching the show on a Friday or later. <laughs> you can join the show a day earlier on Thursdays at noon central time where we're live streaming this on Facebook and YouTube and Rumble and Twitter. And you can join the mm. conversation, throw your comments and questions in the chat. Maybe we'll show your comments on the screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. We also have super chat functionality enabled in case you want to support the show that way and guarantee your message or question is read on air. Or you could help the show by not spending a penny, only a couple of seconds by hitting that like button, sharing this content, subscribing if you haven't already, or just leaving a comment under the video. All those things help break through those big tech algorithms that prevent content like this from being shown to more people. So as Jim mentioned uh, in his introduction, Justin and I were not here last week. We were flying down to Dallas and uh, partaking in a in a big conference there with lawmakers giving presentations about uh, very important topics ranging from ESG to CBDCs and artificial intelligence and the ULC code and all types of very interesting stuff. Um, and we'll get to some of that. I think... Um, our presentation specifically, Justin, I think kind of melds into our main topic that we're going to mm -hmm. do on this episode. Uh, but last the week prior to when we left, uh, I told everybody that I was going to be on prime time with Alex Stein. And oh Justin God. was very excited about this. Justin uh, wanted to maybe even play clips from it and have us react to the yeah. episode. Are we not but, doing that? Well, <laughs> so Jim watched the episode. Show Jim on the screen. <laughs> and Jim yeah. was like, I don't think there's anything in this entire hour that I would feel comfortable putting on our channel. <laughs> Literally said that. Well, and I don't disagree with true. him. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's no. true. No. There's got to be I mean, something in there. Come on. Yeah. Uh, I don't. No. Not, not, even, not even the introduction of Donnie <laughs> is acceptable for this channel. We we get in enough trouble around here. Let, you know, that's okay. We, we've got other we've got other channels. We've got plenty of other channels. <laughs> yeah, we'll just go to Andy, one of our. Even Andy is shaking his head in the background, saying, "Like, no, I don't think there's no. anything that would be." No, there's nothing. So, there's nothing. So if, if you're if, dying to see it, it's not hard to find. Just just yeah. uh, find Alex Stein and, and Donnie Kendall, and uh, you'll find it. Yes, that is true. Um, so if you are very curious, you could find it uh, on your own time. Maybe I'll link it in the show notes. We'll see. I don't know. But uh, it was a good time. It was a fun time. Not the most informative of episodes, especially, you know, something that I'm a part of. But uh, it was good. It was good. But that's all secondary. The conference was secondary. All the presentations we did were secondary. All of the lawmakers that we, you know, helped inform about all these important things are secondary. I don't want to beat around the bush. I want to get to our okay. bombshell. Are you, sure? Are you, you sure you don't want to drag us out any longer? I mean, you know, how about instead of fearing of overstating it, you state it. That would be great. State it. Well, I, it? I do have Geraldo. This is why you're not on Alex Stein, Jim. That's yeah, why you haven't about, been invited on Alex Stein. It's all about, you know, building the suspense. Building and the you know, like this whole time, our, our viewer count is going up. So people are sharing this. They want uh, their friends and family to be aware of this news first. Idea. So so this is this is, the, this is the biggest thing that we have done on this show. So, oh, Justin, God. 
let's let's get to it. Let's open let's open uh, the vault here and let's see what's behind it. No, what, don't tell, show it yet. Tell tell us about tell yeah. Don't don't yeah. Don't show it yet. Justin's got to tell the story. <laughs> so let's have it, Justin. So we're both yes. flying down. I'll, I'll set the stage. Mm-hmm. We're both flying mm-hmm. down. Uh, uh, you know, to Dallas. Uh, you know, I'm taking my. Uh, you know, my, my coach seat from the Chicagoland area, you're in first class coming from the West coast, uh, you know, because mm-hmm. you're a rich guy that flies all the time. Mm-hmm. So, right. Mm-hmm. So you're always surrounded by, you know, the, the, the elite and mm-hmm. you know, important people that are getting, mm-hmm. getting to uh first class. So take it away, Justin, what happens yeah. on your plane that makes so- it a little more unique than your average flight yeah so so specifically i was i was flying from communist um portland oregon which is which is part of why this probably happened so i'm flying from communist portland oregon i'm on the plane waiting in my first class seat and the two seats in front of me are wide open and on i'm like on the plane like comes walking down the aisle a guy who looks very much like rfk jr Okay, and he's with uh, someone who appears to be maybe like a campaign staffer or something like that. And they, of course, because this is the way my life works, he sits immediately in front of me. So this guy is immediately sitting in front of me and his staffer is sitting to the, to the right of him, right? So I'm not sure if this is him. I think it's him. It looks like him, but I mean, what are the odds, right? And then as people are coming down the aisle, some people are stopping and asking for this guy to take selfies with him. So clearly it's gotta be him, right? It's gotta be him. He's also doing this weird thing where he's like shaking his head all the time, which is something that he does for some reason. And so RFK Jr. is in front of me. So I'm thinking to myself, all right, you know, what do I do here? Right. This guy's taking selfies. It would be pretty hilarious if I got like a selfie with RFK Jr. Right. I'm going on Glenn Beck show the next morning. So I'm thinking this, this could be like a funny thing to do. So as I'm figuring out what I'm going to say, we're on the, the plane is now, you know, we're up in the air, but we just got off into the air. As I'm thinking about what to say, I'm listening to Glenn Beck show on the, on the, my, my phone. Right. And I've got a headset and a Bluetooth headset. And as I'm, I'm, figuring out a way to approach him because it's like what do i lead off with i work for the heartland institute i don't know if that's a very good way of leading (laughs) off a conversation with rfk jr right i don't know what to say uh as i'm listening to glenn's show uh the headset cuts out and the audio starts playing on my phone on this quiet plane super loud right in the back of this guy's head and Glenn is right smack dab in the middle of talking about how we need to send the left back from where they came back to hell. <laughs> okay. That literally that those words come out of Glenn Beck's mouth in the back of RFK's head. And I'm thinking, Oh my God, like that's, you know, so the staffer turns around and looks at me all weird. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess that's the end of that. Like I can't introduce myself to this guy. Right. So I think this story is like really funny, right? I thought, oh, I'm going to tell this story to Glenn on the, like, this could be a really funny story to tell Glenn on the radio, how he ruined my opportunity with his incendiary language to talk to a presidential candidate, right? Mm-hmm. So as I'm trying to figure that out, uh, now now I'm like, I got to have a picture of this guy because that's the only way anyone's going to believe that this story is real. No one's, no one's going to believe the story is real. So I'm trying to figure out ways to take pictures of RFK and I'm doing all these just absolutely creepy things. <laughs> I'm like, 
I, I go to the bathroom and I'm like standing over by the bathroom. I'm trying to like snap like secret pictures of him. Every picture I take of this guy looks like he's just some old man on the plane. Could be fucking anybody. Oh, sorry. I Whoa. Could have been Whoa. anybody. Could have been anybody, gotta right? Added that one out. I know. We got to, can we, we need a bleep button, Andy. You got to get working on that. So anyway, I'm yeah, <laughs> a little too late, but okay. Uh, for next time. So, he he's I'm, I'm trying to take pictures of him. I'm trying to get a bit. I can't get anything good of him. Right. And it's getting really creepy at this point. So I finally I give up on the whole thing. So now I go back to my seat. I'm sitting there. I'm waiting. I'm, I'm like curiously watching what the campaign worker is watching on his on his television set. Just absolutely spying on these people. So anyway, I'm there. I'm just thinking, OK, I've given up. I'm never going to get a picture of this guy. So then RFK gets up. And he goes to the bathroom. And as he's walking to the bathroom, I realize the guy has no shoes on and no socks. And the floor is covered with food and like disgusting food. And he's walking to the restroom with no shoes and no socks on. He goes into the restroom sockless and shoeless something i've literally never seen in my entire life out of all the times i've been on planes never seen this happen before come on and i thought okay i know like absolutely (laughs) disgusting right and i'm thinking like this guy's a presidential candidate you know he's he doesn't wear he doesn't wear shoes and socks in a plane in first class like what is this so then i'm like i gotta get a picture of this right so as he's coming out of the bathroom on the way I snap a picture of RFK Jr. Can we pull up the picture? To prove that this psychopath really does walk on the plane. There he is. <laughs> Look, you can see the disgusting food on the floor. You can see him. No socks, no shoes. Like this guy just totally just crapping on everybody. How dare you? First class. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And so now we're going to ruin his entire presidential campaign. It's based on this entire scenario. Oh Look at this. Look at the. Oh my God. And the reason there's like so much spaghetti food, on the floor. Who had spaghetti? Yeah, the, <laughs> the reason there's all this food on the floor is that this lady whose foot this looks like a man foot with the sock here on the on the left in the photo. This person accidentally spilled like a bunch of food on the floor floor like probably a half hour before this happened and then they couldn't really clean it very well and it was very dark at the time and everything and so there was food and he knew that he's sitting right next to her and then all this food's on the ground he goes to the bathroom so i mean just think about it. just think about all the urine that's on the floor in that in that air bathroom like what well, is just disgusting unbelievable so now yeah, we gotta so- ruin him the, There's no the, other option. The social faux pas of taking your shoes off is is one thing. You know, you know, whatever. People are getting comfortable. It's a long flight or whatever. I've never seen someone strip down to their bare feet and then let alone be yeah. in their seat like that. But walk to the bathroom over all these crumbs never. and noodles of spaghetti or whatever. You had to have gotten back with damp feet and had to wipe off all of these crumbs. What a disgusting creature this is. I I don't know, man. Jim, Chris, what do you think about this? I'm in shock. I mean, Donnie, you know, I go on airplanes and every once in a while, you know, I'll take my shoes off and I'm sitting there just because it makes it more comfortable. 
but it would never occur to me in a million years to walk <laughs> without socks or shoes in the aisle and let alone into the bathroom. I mean, that is just like, oh my, that is grounds for him yeah. to just drop out of the race. I think so. Yeah. I yeah. think Thank so. you, Chris. Thank, Thank you for taking this as seriously as it deserves. This man needs to be removed from the race immediately. Yeah. Disqualified. Disqualified. Jim Lakely, what do you have to say? This is a new low for this program, I got to say. I mean, first of all, looking at that photograph, I mean, look how blurry his feet are. Uh, thank God. I mean, it looks like a Bigfoot photo, you know? It's like your UFOs. You can never get them in focus. Thank God. We, we, may, we might see a better, get a better uh, look at those feet. is not a good idea. But, you know, I, I guess we should all, you know, it, it's not a big deal, Justin, because airplane bathrooms are notoriously clean. I mean, oh, yeah. nobody... You know, there's not like there's turbulence that would make you miss or anything. And, you know, it, it's those are the most sanitary places uh, that humans can ever be. So I don't really see what the big deal is. Um, you know, I've I've actually seen worse on airplanes than somebody walking barefoot um, into a bathroom. <laughs> really? Uh, I've yeah. never seen worse than this. Yeah, yeah that's, that's bad. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you with you guys. I think this is absolutely disqualifying uh, for the presidency. I mean, we just can't have this in this country. I mean, we, if we start letting people who walk around barefoot on airplanes in positions of power in this country, then we're through. We're through as a country. Now, Donnie, Donnie, you swear that this is not AI generated, correct? Oh, this is not. Okay. This, this is not. not this AI, is AI, generated. Oh, yeah, you know, AI is I very bad at making feet. So I'm right. getting a little. That was, that was one now, reason why I was kind of questioning it because the, the, the blurriness it's, it's, of it's his all. Right oh, this is it, it's no, blurry because he's so, walking, right, he's moving. So, that's right. why it's blurry. It's right. So right. just just that I meet up after I was on the Alex Stein show, uh, you know, at the hotel, he's telling me this story or whatever, and it was just like I think we had like a half hour, just like what do we do with this information? <laughs> you know, like like it was a miraculous that you were able to get an actual picture that got everything well, you should in frame. It. You should sell it to some, you know, well, uh, like publicity magazine. We for... thought we thought, you know, we can't keep this from the public. The public has to know. We, they have to be completely informed as to what this presidential candidate does uh, in public. And uh, so that's why we broke it here. Exclusive bombshell report. RFK Jr. Share this news far and wide. We're going to have an extensive marketing PR campaign built around this to destroy RFK Jr. Do you remember remember in the 2016 uh, uh, primaries for the GOP when uh, John Kasich was caught like stuffing pancakes into his mouth at at one of those, you know, like don't or not donor, but, uh, you know, like one of those events and Donald Trump, uh, you know, just like just blasted him as you can't elect this guy president when he's like shoveling pancakes. Okay, (laughs) this makes that look totally normal. I know. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. People's presidential campaigns have been ruined for far less. Yeah, for screaming. Like, for far know? less. Yeah, yeah, just for being excitable. Just for being, yeah. like, really excited. Right. People have lost their presidential... This guy is is doing something that you you literally... Like, you get executed in certain Middle Eastern countries for this, I think. <laughs> like, I think they kill you for this in some places. So, like, we're going to allow this? Like, something that's, like, a capital crime in, in Saudi Arabia or, like, Indonesia? I don't think so. I, we can't did, have this. Did you end up talking no. to him at all? Did you introduce yourself? Or did you just take that clandestine photograph that he has no idea? I, I, li- I li- no, Well, for, okay, first of all, 
first of all, it, it, you, know, not, you may have broken the law unless there's something different in sky law where, you know, it doesn't matter where you are. You, know, no, you can do whatever you, can you like. He's in public. In public yeah. you can, he's in public. You can take a picture right. of anybody in public. I just want to say sky law. That's all. <laughs> yeah. Well, you are an expert in bird law. I do know that. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean, no, after, after seeing that, how do you even talk with this guy? I mean, you, psh, he's like barely. Well, really, the gla- honestly, that wouldn't have been, society. that wouldn't have that wouldn't have stopped me. I think it was the, I probably, I could have asked him about it. I would have, I would have loved to have taken a picture, a selfie with him. That would have been just great. Yeah, but can you hold I your, think, um, can you hold your foot up in the air? <laughs> yeah. But um, after the, after the Glenn Beck clip, I was like, I don't think I could talk to this guy. So I'm going to, I'm going to talk to him after he hears me listening to Glenn Beck talk about how, you know, the left is from hell. And then, and then I'm like, what? I'm from the Heartland Institute, right? I mean, at one point in time, I think RFK said that people who are climate deniers deserve to go to jail or something yeah. like that or guilty of treason. I mean, pretty pretty harsh stuff. So I'm willing to bet that he's not like a huge fan, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> it's just like a little bit, I don't know. Yeah, and then so- when you saw the and then when you saw them walking around without any socks and shoes on, you don't know what this guy's capable of. So he's deranged he's deranged so when he's if deranged. if and when this goes viral this is where the news broke first in the tank podcast we bring the real hard-hitting findings on, on this podcast but how how do we transition that into a serious topic like we have lined up for this podcast i have no idea so i'm just gonna jump into it so uh so let's talk about our main topic there we go uh when people hmm. talk about collectivism We often conjure thoughts about socialism or communism or some sort of totalitarianism or another form of society where the government is the sole decision maker in society. But it has become quite clear to me over the past four or five years that the 21st century form of collectivism is one that combines the power of the government and that of corporations in which they are completely in bed with. We've discussed on this podcast before the numerous ways this plays out. Sometimes it's simple cronyism. Government confiscates money from taxpayers and funnels it into politically connected or politically favored companies or industries. Sometimes it's uh, private firms advocating for government action or regulations in their industry, knowing that it's going to negatively impact their smaller competitors more so than it will them. But now we increasingly see a growing relationship between government and big business that is so incestuous and so interwoven that it can't be described as anything but 21st century fascism. We expose this in the book, The Great Reset, and we cover it uh, as much as possible on this show. And this week, we got another look into just how this system wields its incredible power and influence to enact its agenda on the population, liberties be damned. So I'm reading from an article uh, from The Blaze, which has a gorgeous new website, by the way. And the link to this is in the show notes. It says the Committee on the Judiciary and the Select Committee uh, on the Weaponization of the Federal Government, led by Republican Representative Jim Jordan of Ohio, produced a document detailing a series of reports that claimed government entities worked in tandem with Stanford University and others to, quote, censor Americans before the 2020 elections, including true information, jokes, and opinions. 
The federal government disinformation experts at universities, big tech, and others worked together through the Election Integrity Partnership to monitor and censor American speech, Jordan wrote on his X account. So this report shows how the government leaned on big tech to censor speech. We talked about this um, on this podcast basically in three phases so far. The first was years ago when it was mostly just our speculation based on anecdotal reports of big tech censorship. Back in those days, we kind of speculated that maybe the government was involved, but most of the censorship was kind of leveled at uh, uh, just the idea of like big tech kind of being biased on the liberal side. The second phase was probably the Twitter files, I would say. We actually got insight and confirmation to the role of government in censoring American speech. This is when we learned about, uh, you know, the things that were targeted, the extent of shadow banning, the regular meetings between the FBI and Facebook and Twitter and the portals that were set up specifically for the FBI to flag, quote unquote, troublesome tweets or posts. And now this is the third phase government investigation that outlines in detail the system set up to censor Americans and controlled media narratives. So the, the Department of Homeland Security's Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Agency worked alongside Stanford University's Election Integrity Partnership to pressure social media to censor disfavored tweets and posts. Jim, I mean, you were pretty heated talking about this with me uh, yesterday. Um, so what are your two cents? And yes, people, I know, be jealous. I get to experience the first draft of Jim Rants before they're polished up and presented on this uh, here on this channel. And they're a little more disjointed and a lot more swearing. But uh, go ahead, Jim, with <laughs> with your refined Jim Rants on this on this topic here. Oh, he's, he's muted after that perfect tee up for the top. Yeah, the, yeah, the perfect tee up. Sorry, I was <laughs> typing some stuff. You guys hate to hear that clicking in the background. That's but I, I may actually just it may take me a while to warm up to a proper gym rant, uh, to be honest, but we'll see. <laughs> but, you know, this I, I did ask that this would be one of the topics on, on the show today because uh, it's not going to be getting coverage in the mainstream media because the mainstream media is complicit in the censoring of all non left uh, information anywhere on social media. Uh, and it's this this lays out. You know, when 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 Congress comes up with a report like this or you see a, a news story like uh, like this coming out um, that gets a little bit of publicity. People like you and me and the listeners to this podcast, we've known all this stuff already for years and years. We've known about this stuff. It's like when the uh, Hunter Biden laptop thing happened, everybody, you know, we knew that that was real, um, but the media didn't get around to it. Finally admitting it for what, two years later, um, and then, then they come around on it. And meanwhile, information sharing truthful information about about that sort of stuff is um is is either shadow banned or outright banned or can get you um just kicked off of places like Facebook and Twitter and uh well even Google's YouTube right here you know when you talk about information about uh you know well I, I don't want to get into that because you know we're already probably going to be banned thanks to thanks to Justin's F bomb but <laughs> <laughs> you know um let's remember the name Douglas Mackey He's now serving um, seven months in jail. He probably, I think, still has the full sentence. I think he was sentenced last week or two weeks ago. He's serving seven months in jail for putting up a joke meme about Hillary Clinton. It was a, the, the meme was to, um, I think it was, it was a joke. It was a joke. So it skipped the line, text this number to vote for Hillary from home. Um, for that, that was called by our ruling class and our deep state 
and our corrupt justice system, election interference. And he's had his freedom taken away from him, and he's spending seven months in jail. He will be a convicted felon for the rest of his life for posting a joke on Twitter. And uh, I don't know if this report, I think this report mentions that incident, but this is the, the world we live in is, is a world where, where if you are on the right, if you are not part of the protected class with protected speech, which means you are on the left, if you're not there, um, not only will your speech be suppressed, as this report lays out in great detail, but um, you may even go to jail for it if the ruling class and if our corrupt justice system decides uh, to make an example out of you and throw you in jail, lest anybody else make a joke about the leftists that are in power and ruining this country. Um, and when you read through this report, it was a coordinated effort. Uh, first of all, getting through the report is actually a little difficult because there are so many federal agencies with um, with names you've never heard of. Two of them are, are inside the Department of Homeland Security, um, the Cyber and in CISA, the Cyber in Integrity Safety Administration or something like that. I don't know. Um, it doesn't matter what they are because they only exist for one purpose, and that is to punish political enemies. And that's what happened here. And what they did is that they, 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 what you're going to hear if this is reported at all in mainstream media, you're going to hear denials from uh, government agencies and people in power. If, if, and if there are congressional hearings and they pull these people in front of Congress, they will have denials and they will say, look, because it is a violation of the Constitution, of your First Amendment rights to censor the speech of Americans. That is the basic principle of, of our entire system of government in this country is that you cannot censor, the government cannot censor your speech. And yet the government will say, um, we didn't actually censor your speech, guys, but they coordinated with three other organizations and groups to strongly suggest that your speech should be, uh, should be suppressed. There's really no difference at all between those things, but they're going to get away with it and could, because they ran it like a mob operation. John Gotti didn't actually kill anybody. You know, but he said he told uh, this guy who told that guy who told this other guy that this guy I don't like will be having dinner at uh, this restaurant down the mm -hmm. street. Oh, my gosh. Next morning, he ends up dead. Huh. Funny. Well, I'm glad for that, but I didn't have anything to do with it. That's exactly the mechanism of how they of how they uh, suppress the speech of any non leftist on social media and in search engines and on platforms like YouTube. Um, their hands, they, they think their hands are clean. But this is as bad as it gets. It's as, as far as the violation of free speech. This, this happening was unimaginable in this country to most people listening to this podcast for their entire lives. It, would, it was so untouchable that you would suppress the speech of, of Americans before an election because you don't like what they're saying about the Democrat candidate. But we live in a country now where that is... Um, not just allowed, it's now going to be routine. This is going to happen again in 2024. And, and frankly, it's, it's depressing to, think, uh, to, to say this, but there's nothing we're going to be able to do about it. Nothing. They get away with this all the time. And they yeah. do it because they know they're going to get away with it. Yeah, that was that was going to be like a follow up question uh, for all of you. It's just like, you know, we've gotten like levels of just confirmation of this type of thing. And it's just like, what's what's actually going to be done about it? Yeah, Jim Jordan's going to release some report about it. And you're going to have some talking heads on various shows and podcasts shaking their fists. But then what? Then they're just going to keep going on and doing this. I mean, Chris, so now this is the Department of Homeland Security through the Twitter files. We see the FBI is doing it. 
It just seems like this is common practice for the government now. I mean, is this is this going to just be allowed? What do you think? Well, it was allowed. And um, just first, I just want to mention that this came out November 6th, three days ago. And uh, I have not heard one mention about it at all on the mainstream media. Um, but, you know, Donnie, we know from the Twitter files uh, that a smoking gun exists. We know that the FBI uh, paid Twitter $3.4 million just for them to uh, to uh, have the means to uh, implement all the um, the asks for things to be taken down off social media um, because it was it was it was such an avalanche and it was not just coming from the FBI it was not coming just from the DHS like Jim uh, laid out earlier it was coming from HHS it was coming from CMS it was coming from across the government uh, spectrum. And there was one, you know, common uh, commonality here. It was all predicated on stifling any and all, um, you know, outside opinions about things like COVID-19, things like the, you know, the uh, Hunter Biden laptop, things about, you know, Joe Biden and his uh, business dealings. It was all one sided. It was all predicated on uh, basically helping the Democratic Party and uh, hurting, harming the uh, Republican Party right up into one of the most important elections, uh, you know, in our lifetimes. Um, but, you know, like Jim said, they got away with it. And, you know, that that's the really frustrating part. And, uh, you know, you asked earlier, well, is there anything that can be can do or anything that can is you know going to happen? Well, definitely not while Joe Biden is in the uh, Oval Office, because there's nothing he's going to do. There's nothing that his Justice Department is going to do. There is absolutely nothing that uh, Attorney General Mayor Garland is going to do to in, to really investigate this. So right now, yeah, we do have control of one branch of Congress, and they have done some great uh, investigative reports on uh, the missing, you know, the the you know government's uh, you know censorship efforts, and they've also done some great uh, investigation into the Biden uh, you know business dealings. But it worries me because it's not resonating with the American people. It's not resonating with uh, the mainstream media. You know, the mainstream media, you think, would want to jump on this story. This is a bombshell report, almost as big as, you know, RFK walking, uh, you know, uh, without, you know, shoes and socks on an airplane, but close to that. So it's I think it's pretty frustrating that this is, you know, not being amplified, that this is not, uh, you know, getting out into the public domain like it should because you know only i think only a couple outlets only a couple uh you know uh, media platforms are even going to talk about this so i think it's going to you know not even uh, be heard by such a you know uh you know large number of americans that it's going to become just like jim said earlier it's just going to become like it was uh, in the lead up to the uh, 2020 election when i was having debates with you know some of my uh more liberal friends talking about well you know the Hunter Biden laptop, you know, shows all this evidence. And it was no, 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 that, that's just not true. You know, the New York Times, you know, said that, that that's not true. The same thing happens, you know, with um, uh, all the lead up in the you know 2020 election. And I'm afraid that this is going to continue into uh, 2024. Yeah, I mean, Justin, who who are who are you even like more mad at in this situation? Like the government for doing the leaning on big tech, or big tech for just like kind of carrying out the censorship on their behalf? Or do you think it's just like a straight up collusion, mutual benefit, so they're just completely in it together? What what are your thoughts on this story? That's a good question. So I I think that you know 
trying to understand the motivations of a lot of these different parties is really complicated because on the on the one hand, everybody who works for these big tech companies, survey after survey has shown this, is overwhelmingly to the left. So they probably want to do things that help the left just on their own. A lot, I mean, not everybody, but the vast majority of people who work in big tech, you know, that's what they want to do anyway. So, you know, there's that. But on the on the other side of that, I think that um, big tech knows that government is want, that a lot of people in government want to regulate um, social media companies and and have been putting pressure on big tech to do something about this so that they don't have to regulate them. You know, so they've basically been threatening them with regulations. Um, and if the Democrat Party had it its way, and it doesn't, but if it did, it would force social media companies to remove, you know, disinformation and misinformation, which is whatever doesn't benefit them whenever they want social media companies to do it. That's what they would do. And, and big tech companies know that. And then you have Europe is complicating things as well, because in Europe, they actually do have some pretty restrictive laws on social media companies related to spreading so-called misinformation and disinformation, which again is just whatever the elites don't like, basically. Um, and these social media companies operate in Europe and have been basically threatening to pull out of certain European countries because of these rules. Uh, they've been fighting with them and lobbying to get them changed and all this other stuff because they don't want to be fined because some user went on and posted something you know, controversial or whatever on their social media platform. And they don't have First Amendment protections in a lot of European countries. And so there's this there's uh, not not an equivalent to the First Amendment. Obviously, they don't have the First Amendment there. But the point is that it's hard to know exactly why. And in, in some sense, I think big tech companies say to themselves, we don't want people saying these things anyway. It's going to benefit us politically. And oh, by the way, if we don't do something about it, the government's just going to force us to do something about it eventually. It's just a matter of time. So we might as well just get out ahead of this position ourselves like we're the good guy, say that we're being responsible, hope that that gets the liberals off our backs in the United States and Europe. And I think that that's kind of the motivating factor here. It is a true public-private partnership between all these people. I think they all kind of want it to happen. They all kind of, they have slightly different motivations maybe, but at the end of the day, it all kind of fits with their desires. And so they're all too happy to, to silence people. And, um, you know, this, this undermines the more power, because this wouldn't matter if there were 50 million social media companies, if there were 20 social media companies, even it wouldn't matter. But in reality, there's only like three or four that actually have any power at all. And that's part of the problem. When three or four companies get together and they control most of the of the market and they get together with government to create these rules and enforce these rules and stuff, you know, you don't even have a marketplace anymore. All you have is just collusion between these massive multi-billion dollar corporations and multi-trillion dollar governments all deciding what speech should be allowed in the new public square of, you know, which is really what social media has become. And it just, it, if ever there was an argument that undermines 
um, sort of a libertarian approach to how you deal with bad actors, bad corporate actors. I think it's this whole scenario of this collusion that exists. And I consider myself to be pretty libertarian, but I just think that you can't have, um, if you don't, if you don't stop this, then what's next? The phone company gets to throw people off of, uh, cell phone services because they voted for Donald Trump. Like, you know, is that next? Does the electric company, you know, if you have a lot in, in a lot of States, the electric company is a private company. Uh, do they, do they get to turn off the lights for people who, you know, voted for Donald Trump? Like at what point do you get? Yeah, exactly. And for a lot of people, they would say, yeah, sure. That's the way it should work. It's like, that's insane to take that position. That's just totally insane. But that's exactly what's going on with this. You could argue that the, the social media company in terms of free speech is like the most important market and industry in America today, more important than just television because regular people actually get to participate in this. And a lot of really important stories and information becomes, uh, become spreads through these social media platforms, entire media companies have been built around social media platforms and articles getting shared and reposted. And a lot of them have been destroyed because of social media. So I just think, yeah, it's not just bias. Like this is, this is the free speech issue of our time. Like, yeah, I mean, it's important. It it really is. And I don't want to let, you know, social media, big tech, whatever off the hook. But uh, you know, when Jim and I were talking about this, we were, we were kind of talking about it where it's like if the government is coming up to these, uh, you know, Twitter and Facebook and they're saying like, oh, you know, these are some troublesome tweets. And it's like these are the people that kind of hold the power in their hands to just destroy your business model. You know, Section 230. And and we've talked about Section 230 and the kind of the need to reform it. But it's like when uh, le- liberals, Democrats talk about like Section 230 reform. It's under the scope of like the context is that social media isn't doing enough censoring. So it's like social media is approached by government. We don't like these tweets. It's like, what what do we do as Facebook or Twitter? Do we say uh, no and risk making enemies of the government? Or do we say, oh, sure, sure, government. Yeah, I'll, I'll do it. Uh, you know, OK, just don't just don't crush us with your regulations. So, Jim, I don't know. Am I am I letting them off the hook too much? What do you think about this? You're always letting them off the hook too much, Donnie. <laughs> You're way too nice to these tyrants who want to steal our liberty and ruin this country. I mean, I mean, first, we we didn't go through all the names of these ridiculous agencies and projects. Um, you know, so this kind of all started um, at Stanford, the Stanford Internet Observatory. Oh, how clever. How clever. They'll, they're so smart. They'll, they'll be the ones who'll be looking at the Internet through a a telescope to really, so that people can understand what's going on. And then they create something called the Election Integrity Project. Um, I can hardly think of something more Orwellian than calling the your efforts to silence the speech and to shut up and to basically almost, you know, if they could get away with it, completely disenfranchise people who disagree with a leftist viewpoint. And you call it the, elect- the Election Integrity Project. Makes my blood boil. And then they work in in um, in conjunction with the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, which is part of DHS. Um, you know, Trump actually created that agency, or was created under his um, under his administration. And the irony, of course, being that it was it, it was basically unleashed upon Trump himself to uh, to suppress all of his supporters from uh, organizing and even speaking about the election in any meaningful way. 
Um, but the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency was created for the purpose, again, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a, another fake thing. It was created to protect our elections from foreign interference because of the Russia collusion that put Trump in office. So that's why that agency was created. And this report shows that um, less than 1% of the tickets that uh, basically the flags that went up for um, uh, interfering in our election and dangerous speech online before an election, less than 1% of it had anything to do with foreign influence. So 99% of this effort's entire purpose and direction was to silence domestic speech, to silence Americans. So this is yet another agency that is set up to protect us from foreign threats. And not, you know, it's perfect that it's in the Department of Homeland Security. And instead, it turns its eyes to the people it's supposed to be protecting. It turns its eyes on law-abiding people. Um, and so this, and, and again, they, they're, they think they're the good guys, man. They think they're the good guys. Um, they, there's a quote in here that said, uh, one of the EIP's partners observed that, quote, as mis- and disinformation researchers, it's distressing to see some of the very dynamics and tactics we study being used to disrupt and undermine our own work. That was actually their, their uh, reaction to this story um, and to this report coming out. Um, dis and misinformation, we have a president of the United States who calls half this country dangerous threats to democracy and Nazis. And that's apparently not mis or disinformation. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, who, who appointed these people the speech police? What gives them the right to do any of this? And after every one of these kind of stories that we, we highlight on this program, I keep waiting for somebody to say, hey, guys, this doesn't seem like the right thing to do. There is nobody in any of these rooms who puts their hands up and, and expresses even a hint of doubt that maybe this isn't the right thing to do. Guys, we shouldn't be suppressing the speech of Americans who are not committing any crimes or doing anything wrong. We shouldn't be using this agency that's supposed to be keeping outside influence from foreign countries out of our elections and using it entirely against Americans. Not a single person. Nowhere. Thanks for a minute. Guys, I don't know. Should we really be doing this? Nobody. That's what's so, so not just annoying and angering, but it makes me despair for the future of this country. That time and time again, not one person, not one person in those rooms has a moment of doubt that they are not, that they're the good guys and that they, none of them even have an inkling that this is an even tiny abuse of their power. None. And that's why I get, I just despair for the future of this country, because if, if that never happens, we truly are doomed. I got, I got just a couple, couple of quick observations on this. First, uh, to Jim's point of why there is a lack of whistleblowers on this particular topic. I think it's because we've seen that whistleblowers in the recent past have, you know, just been crushed by the government, whether it's, you know, FBI whistleblowers talking about some of the, uh, the misdeeds uh, happening there. But Donnie, I also uh, think that <clears throat> we probably would not be hearing as much about this had uh, Elon Musk not bought Twitter and uh, opened up the floodgates as to the Twitter files, which really, I think, formed the basis of this. 
Yeah, I, you know, I was thinking about that too, and just real quick that like you know some people like, complain uh, about like uh, Elon Musk handling of Twitter. It's like if he just ran the whole platform into the ground, and all we got from his acquisition of Twitter was the Twitter files. That is a win for me. Uh, I'll put that in the win column. I don't even care. But go ahead. But I also just want to go back to you know life before social media uh, became prevalent. So take nine eleven for example. In the aftermath of nine eleven, there were a lot of people spewing all sorts of conspiracy theories about it being an inside job and this and that. However, the government didn't have the ability to go and just massively, uh, you know, prevent those people from spewing, you know, those those ideas and opinions. So unfortunately, uh, the the rise of social media and just the prevalence of it and, you know, the fact that so many people are active on it and use it as their primary way of, you know, getting the news of the day and such. I think is uh, symbolic of uh, why the totalitarianism uh, is, you know, is, is happening. So if like, you know, Justin said, right now we have, uh, you know, lots of centralization in terms of our social media platforms. We've got Facebook, we've got YouTube, we've got Twitter and, you know, a few others, you know, TikTok who are just, you know, like they have a, a, a stranglehold on the dissemination of information. But if you go back to the days before that, that would be like, you know, during the 1960s civil rights movement uh, saying you, you must take that loudspeaker out of your mouth. You cannot say that because we don't want you to say that. I mean, it's the same premise, you know, or going back to, you know, the colonial times where, you know, people would go into the town square and just, you know, like, like, you know, uh, make assertions. No, no, no. You just can't say that. So that, that's really what's happening here. It's just that the vehicle that they're using to do it with is, I think, you know, a much more technologically savvy way for them to implement their, you know, totalitarian, uh, you know, uh, pr uh, principles where they're making it seem as though, oh, we're actually trying to protect you. This is about, you know, stopping quote unquote misinformation, but the, you know, misinformation, you know, is, 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 is a, anything can subjective. be misinformation. It's completely right. subjective. You know, it's like one day misinformation can be the next day's truth and vice versa. So we saw this with the pandemic. And just one of the uh, last point I wanted to make was, I think a lot of this did, uh, you know, originate with the pandemic because before the pandemic, you know, when uh, social media was, you know, still on, you know, in its infancy in, you know, 2015, 14, 13, 16, 17, there was not this 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 uh, this call for for you know mass censorship of you know people who had differing opinions from you know the mainstream. However, the I think the the pandemic you know set a precedent where well under the guise of you know of health and under the guise of you know uh, preventing quote unquote you know, like the dissemination of you know false you know COVID uh, you know uh, thoughts that we are now are going to have the ability to do that. And once they cross that, you know, that that bridge, I think they then realize, well, we can also do this for other things that are politically harmful, whether it's, you know, the Hunter Biden laptop story or just, you know, so many other uh, issues and, um, you know, news stories that are, you know, bad for the left and good for the right. So I think that, you know, we just need to really like understand that the pandemic in so many ways uh, allowed we we unfortunately allowed the government to take over you know these mm -hmm. these roles that they should not be taking over whether it's telling us you know whether we can you know have a business open or not whether or not our schools can stay open or not you know whether we have to wear face masks you know get vaccines and all that and I still think you know he, yeah we're three years out but I still think that there's like that 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 balance that is you know being debated between should the government have the ability to censor 
uh, information, whether it's health or, you know, or election related or, you know, gun related or whatever that it disagrees with. And, you know, unless and until a vast majority of the American people, like a vast majority say, wait a second, this is completely like out of bounds. I think they're just going to keep testing the waters to keep seeing it because they, because like Mm -hmm. Jim said, they've gotten away with it. They continue to get away with it. And even when Trump was in, you know, the Oval Office and he had control over these administrative agencies, it doesn't matter because these deep state bureaucrats are unaccountable and it doesn't matter. President Trump or, you know, the next president, whoever it is, does not have the ability to micromanage every single federal agency. So the 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 the, the culture at these agencies, for more or less, is, you know, obviously going to always be on, on the you know left side of the spectrum and basically you know, trying to squelch, uh, you know, the, the right side or any alternative viewpoints. Yeah. I don't think there's anything that I disagree with you on that. And the only thing that I'll say is that like, you know, this type of partnership is not just limited to, you know, social media and the media and media in general. Like it's like across the board, this, this goes into all the stakeholder capitalism stuff that we've talked about. This goes into ESG. The the, the climate change stuff is so, I think it's so emblematic of this as well. Right. Right. And this all kind of ties, you know, and this all kind of ties into the presentation that Justin and I did while we were down in Dallas. And uh, Justin, I want to talk about that. I kind of want to go through some of the kind of the key components uh, of our presentation about artificial intelligence, uh, because I do think it's very kind of uh, pertains to this kind of topic uh, pretty well. But, um, you know, just kind of on the fly, I kind of want to make this a Davos watch segment. So do we have that buffer music ready? Hopefully that... It's been a while, but we are back with another episode of Davos Watch. So, like I was saying, we did a presentation about artificial intelligence while we were down in Dallas. And I think that it is a thing that we have to kind of wrap our heads around uh, as kind of conservatives to realize where the country is going, where policy is going, where kind of the collectivist mindset is going in their aims of imposing their agenda on on society. So, uh, Justin, feel free to jump in as I kind of just blow through some of these main points. But we we talked about artificial intelligence. You know, we're talking in front of a, a whole bunch of lawmakers and everyone that's kind of interested in how is artificial intelligence going to impact the economy, society, and my, our constituents, all of this type of thing. And the message that comes out of organizations like the World Economic Forum, some of these international organizations, some of these businesses that are involved in this is one of kind of concern that artificial intelligence could bring with it a whole host of societal impacts, including um, dependency on this type of technology, job losses, industry disruption, all sorts of different things. And I said during that presentation, I'll say it here, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I mean, the size of the disruption, the size of any job losses or any type of uh, kind of industry wide implications, I think those could be weighed, you know, to one side of the spectrum or the other. But generally speaking, I don't necessarily disagree with organizations like the World Economic Forum when they're predicting this sort of disruption caused by the fourth industrial revolution. Where I do disagree with them is the solutions in which they propose to deal with any of these uh, implications of this 
emerging technologies. So what their kind of main point is, and I'm kind of glossing over, I'm condensing this 45-minute speech into you know five to 10 minutes here. But what their solutions mainly boil down to is trying to embed their values into the foundations of artificial intelligence. That it's not enough that artificial intelligence be this objective thing that's just basically a calculator, some advanced algorithm taking in all of these inputs and deciding on conclusions by itself. No, that's where a lot of the disruptions could come from, they say. So what we need to do is embed our values directly into the foundations of this te technology and make sure that artificial intelligence respects the climate, respects diversity and inclusion and equity and all of these different flowery things that you hear organizations like the World Economic Forum talk about time and time again. Uh, Justin, anything to input on kind of my glossing over the first part of this presentation so far? Uh, no, I think that I think the evidence is overwhelming that every major form of emerging technology is being embedded with social credit scoring, ESG metrics, some sort of uh, some sort of design that ensures that it's going to promote left wing values like mm -hmm. that's that's and they know that that that's important because they understand how important emerging technologies are, but they also understand how badly they've failed over the past couple of decades to regulate the internet and uh, how much they've struggled to silence speech on on a variety of different platforms and uh, prevent people from selling products that they don't like and other things. And so they're making sure they're they're designing the future to make sure that the future is, um, and designing the future, by the way, is a direct quote from some of these Davos people. They're designing the future so that it is a world that embraces leftism. And you won't be able to, because we're going to be also dependent on these emerging technologies, the same way we're dependent on the internet and our phones and things like that today, um, if they can make it um, set the rules right from the very beginning, put that in the foundation of these technologies and normalize that then it's going to be virtually impossible for us to escape it later on. It's just going to be the new normal. And, yeah, uh, and we're not, and we're plan. not, it's a very clear plan. Right. And we're not reading between the lines. We're not uh, speculating here or trying to like create some straw men. Like if you actually read their documents and listen to these people talk about this stuff, they are very direct in their aims of doing exactly what we're talking about. But you know uh, what you know what this shows me? This shows me that they don't have much confidence in, in the ideas and the policies and the proposals that they're pushing because they have to go to such great lengths to silence any alternatives or any information that might, you know, pop the bubble that they're trying to, you know, keep keep going. So whether whether it's climate change, whether it's DEI, whether it's CRT or any of these things, you know, the vaccine or just anything, they are so afraid that the other viewpoint might come out because it probably makes more sense. It's based on reason, based on logic, that they will go to any length to stifle and silence it. And the AI gives them the ability to do that on a massive scale that they could not do with, you know, a bunch of students at, at Stanford, you know, quote unquote, policing the Internet. But AI is is the tool that would allow them to sift through reams and reams of, you know, communications and data to say, OK, we are we are going to literally silence them. And that's what I think really does bother me. 
Yeah, well, we have we have like the direct quotes uh, of these organizations and governments talking about this uh, aim to make sure that AI respects equity and inclusion and climate change and all of this stuff. And they 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 talk about this. They talk about making like embedding this into the foundations of these things. We have certain quotes. I don't have them on me right here, but if you actually look up uh, uh, Justin Haskins' page on YouTube, you can find a kind of a dry run of presentation that he did solo. Or if you have Dark Future, you can turn to one of those chapters and see all the direct references to all of this stuff. But that's all, but, based, on the, but that's all based on the premise that they, are, that they are infallible and that they are correct. And we all know that science and all these things are constantly changing. So the fact that they are you know, taking such extreme measures to prevent any sort of, you know, alternative, you know, views on this, I think just is, is an indictment as to how like shallow and how, uh, you know, how not, you know, confident they are in their, uh, you know, beliefs. Yeah, no, see, well, I think I think it's I think it's that they they believe that the reason that they're not successful is because they don't have enough compliance with their various proposals, plans, programs, et cetera. If everybody had just worn a mask and socially distanced, COVID wouldn't have been as bad. They, they, that's how that would be their approach. They yeah. wouldn't say, Oh, masks don't work. They would just say, uh, people don't comply. You know, true with almost everything. But can I ask you one quick question, Justin, but then how come, you know, when, uh, when it comes to them actually following these rules, they don't do it. We saw Nancy Pelosi flouting the, uh, the mask because you know, they're more important than we are. So, but that's that shows, why. but that shows me that they don't, that they know that what they're doing is not actually quote unquote, like for the good. If they, if they firmly believe that, if they, you know, said I'm a climate change, you know, zealot, I will never take go on an airplane. I'd be like, okay, fine. At least you're putting your money where your mouth is. But what really mm -hmm. makes my blood boil is when they are saying, no, you must all do this stuff, but we're special and we don't have to do it, which makes me think that, which makes me almost know intuitively that they know that this is all a bunch of you know what, and they're just trying to put it on the masses under the guise, whether it's for your health or whatever. We're all it's equal, about, but some are not, more equal than others. Yes. It's, yes. it's not about safety. It's not about protecting our elections. Right. It's not about any of that stuff. It's not about, it's, it's, it's about control. It's about compliance. Yeah. The reason Nancy Pelosi doesn't wear a mask and, and gets and you know decides I'm going to go get my um my hair styled today is. is because she is not the one who's made to comply. You right. are right. That's the entire point. All of this global governance stuff that you know we we talk about it all the time. We're getting Davos watch when you're flying out to Davos. Maybe RFK will be on a private plane next time, uh, Justin, uh, to go out to Davos. He um. You know, they don't they don't care about their carbon footprint. They don't they, they get to do whatever they want. They get to say whatever they want. They get to eat whatever they want. They get to go wherever they want. You don't. It's not it's not about any of anything else except for controlling you. And the thing about artificial intelligence and frankly, the advance of technology in general in this country that I think just keeps us fatter and happier, supposedly, that we don't pay attention to these things. You, right. you mentioned it. Yeah. You mentioned it, Chris. That you know, you know, at nine eleven, we didn't have nearly all obviously this kind of technology. Social media didn't exist. People barely had smartphones. I didn't even own a cell phone at the time when nine eleven happened, and I got one because I thought, well, geez, I would like to say goodbye to you know my loved ones before I'm killed by a terrorist. That's a nice thing to have. So, uh, you know, so I got a cell phone, but people didn't have it. Mm -hmm. Now this technology it not only puts the world at our fingertips, but it puts the tyrants 
on our fingertips. <laughs> it puts them in our hands and, and it, they, it allows and they, them access to suppress us. So, and, you and, know, technology has gone both ways, but now in the early days of te the technology revolution, it was the wild west and it was consumer driven and we had freedom and we could mm -hmm. say what we wanted and we could contact people. It was wonderful. Now it's turned around. The government now is in control of all of this technology and they're using it against us. And they can well, do it in real time. Unlike, you know, the, the Soviet Union, Nazi Germany, it's like they had they had to they had to, you know, go take the book, burn it. I mean, they, you know, yes. it, it's so much easier for them to just do this in real time with a click of a button. And I think that, you know, that's why all this stuff coming out of Stanford is so is so worrisome because it just shows that they don't have to go through those clunky, you know, like measures of the past where they when you know, airbrushing pictures and all that kind of stuff. They just do it in real time. Yeah, so the World Economic Forum has an artificial intelligence governance alliance. So this is all the biggest companies that are involved in this tech space that are all part of this World Economic Forum program to make sure that their missions and aims are all aligned with each other. Because, you know, what says free market competition? Yeah. Uh, like, you know, having everybody in, in line together with these Davos elites uh, from the World Economic Forum. The, jo the Joe Biden AI Bill of Rights thing that they released that has all of this, uh, um, you know, language in there talking about how we want to make sure that this technology allows us to promote things like equity and, and inclusion and all that type of stuff. I had found one thing called the Frontier Model Forum, which is a, an agreement between uh, OpenAI, which is the one that did ChatGPT and Alphabet, which is, you know, formerly Google and uh, one other kind of large uh, organization in the AI space. And in their thing, they talk about how we need this frontier model forum so that we can identify and pursue, you know, common, um, common agendas and best practices. And then in it, it says, it says in there that, um, they want to make sure that we can use our technology to fight back against climate change and other social issues like that. Yeah. So these are the things that are just built into the foundations. And Justin, you kind of mentioned it, that it's like when the Internet was coming onto the scene, um, it was a big decentralizing force that was out there. And ever since then, the government has been trying to wrap their arms around it and constrain it to, you know, some success and, and some failure. But now it's like they're there. It, it's almost like they are trying to get their controls over this type of disruptive technology before the toothpaste is squeezed out of the bottle. That is the whole objective over uh, over here. And the thing is that this artificial intelligence isn't just going to be writing tweets for you or whatever you're using chat GPT for, but it's going to increasingly be the case where artificial intelligence is making decisions for banking and financial institutions when it comes to who's getting loans and based on what criteria and all the metrics that it's shifting through to ensure that the, that, that criteria is being followed. Or we talk about the justice system when uh, courtrooms across the country are using artificial intelligence to figure out sentencing and uh, judging precedent. So this is a, a, a technology that is going to get more and more uh, a part of our daily lives and the government's life and, and just the business life. And they want to ensure that that type of artificial intelligence, it conforms to their agenda. That is what this kind of next phase of the Great Reset is. That was kind of this next phase of 21st century collectivism is. It is this thing, and it is clear as day when you read the literature from the World Economic Forum. It all boils down to fundamentally altering these systems' aims from pursuing objective reality, putting that second, and instead replacing it with subjective wants based on a political agenda. 
That is what these World Economic Forum people are pushing for. And that is what we're trying to push back against. Like, uh, like you know, this organization, this show, and, uh, and this segment, Davos Watch, where I try to, you know, show people that this stuff is important, that these Davos folks are talking about, and largely it goes ignored, and it goes ignored to our own peril. And that is why I want to do Davos Watch as frequently as possible. I know I've kind of left it off the last couple of weeks, but to shine a light on the ongoings of Davos and these kind of these uh, technocratic elites across the world, see what they're doing and shine a light on it. But uh, Jim, Chris, Justin, I think we're already long for the episode. Any final comments on this topic or anything else that we had to talk about today? Anyone want to send RFK Jr. a pair of socks? We're going to do a fundraiser. A collection. Yes. <laughs> we could send him, but he won't wear them. <laughs> Donnie, I, I would just, you know, j just say that uh, in the grand scheme of it all, I think that the technology uh, revolution that we're currently experiencing is still in its infancy. So I still think there's a long way to go and there's, you know, de definitely uh, reason for optimism. However, you know, right now, as the you know cards are laid out, it's definitely somewhat you know depressing to think that they can, you know, uh, take, take such control over the dissemination of information. But I do remain somewhat optimistic that, um, you know, this can be countered. Yeah, I do too. I think the first kind of step is, uh, is just kind of exposing it to the public and, and yes. making sure that yes. they're aware of what the plan is so that we can kind of put up as much of a fuss and fight about it as possible. But uh, I think that's already done a lot of benefits and a lot of work when it comes to our ESG battles, you know, that was flying under the radar for so long. And now it's kind of out in the open. It's a political football at the very least. And we are seeing some resistance to it. So that's the first step. And that is what we are here for, ladies and gentlemen. But that is going to do it for this episode of the In the Tank podcast. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to this episode. Please tune in every week for a new episode. If you are an audio-only listener that's probably catching the show on a Friday or later, please uh, write a review for us on iTunes. It would be greatly appreciated. You could also join us a day earlier on Thursdays at noon Central Time. We are live streaming this on Facebook and Rumble and Twitter and YouTube. And you can join the conversation. Throw your comments and questions in the chat. Maybe we'll show your comments on the screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. You could also support the show with Super Chat functionality to ensure your comment or question is read on air. Or you could help us out by not spending a penny, but only spending a couple of minutes, seconds even, by just hitting that like button, sharing this content, subscribing if you haven't already, or leaving a comment under the video. All those things help break through those big tech algorithms that prevent content like this from being shown to more people. If you would like, you could follow us on Twitter at InTheTankPod. If you want to send us your comments, suggestions, or questions to the show, feel free to email us at InTheTankPodcast at gmail.com. Jim Lakely, where can the fine people find you? Jay Lakely on Twitter, where I got blocked by a climate alarmist today. <laughs> and Heartland Inst on Twitter, not yet blocked by them. And always visit heartland.org. Fantastic. Justin Haskins, same question. At Justin C. Haskins on uh, Twitter and Facebook. But don't go to Facebook. Mainly just go to Twitter or uh, X or whatever X, we're calling it. X, now. yep. And Chris Talgo, what do you have to pitch today? Uh, like Jim, go to heartland.org. Fantastic. Man, a few words. All right. Thank you all for tuning in. We will talk to you next week.
He's a lion, dog-faced pony soldier. <laughs>